Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Barent Neustraten. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can open your word, that it speaks to us, that it is a guide for our life, that it tells us, that it explains to us all that we need to know for our salvation. You are a wonderful God who provides all of the above. Thank you for being our God. Bless us this hour in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I thought we will talk about the world economy and us, us as a people. And uh, particularly us in the last days. I mean, here we are, we, we are in the last days. We understand that. Jesus is coming soon. What might we expect between Jesus arriving and us being here and now today? It looks to me, as you watch the news, that it almost seems like the world economy is like the Titanic once it hit the iceberg. And you, you know the story of what happened to that massive boat that everybody believed could never sink. But it did. It did. And so, let me, let me introduce to you a few interesting people. They're interesting because they're on what's called the Forbes richest list. And uh, none of us would have been listed there, and I'm certainly not one of them. Here we have one, Carlos Slim Hello. He is actually a Mexican, and he, um, he has tremendous holdings. He has tremendous uh, real estate and commercial holdings in, uh, yeah, in Mexico, and he's worth 48.9 billion, not million, billion dollars. Now, that man is very rich. What is interesting, he's a Maronite Christian, which is a form of Catholicism, and he's a very important man in that particular denomination. It's very interesting. So he is very, very important there. The one that we know pretty well more is a man by the name of Warren Buffett. Now, Warren Buffett is 89 years old, and he holds uh, $88.9 billion in assets, almost a billion dollars for every year that he has lived, if you like. Now, which is probably not quite updated, Warren Buffett invested very heavily in airlines. And you know what the airlines, what happened to them. He actually lost $40 billion recently on the airlines. And before you start feeling sorry for him, he still has almost $50 billion left. So he won't be going to Centrelink or anything like that. 90 years of age almost. Very interesting man. He's an agnostic. He's an agnostic. Uh, if I go further, there is this man, and uh, let me have a look at his name, because I hadn't heard of him as either. Amancio Ortega. He's 84 years old. What is interesting about him, he's made his fortune on fashion, which goes to show how much they spend on fashion. $61.1 billion. That is an awful lot. And of course, this person we all know, Bill Gates, 
Bill Gates, of course, of, uh, well, we always associate him with the computer industry, Microsoft, at $104.3 billion, and he's agnostic. It means this, that you can be very wealthy, but that doesn't draw you to God, does it? In fact, probably, if anything, it does the opposite. Now, of course, there are other people that are very wealthy or were wealthy. I, I just like to mention too, Hosni Mubarak, 87 years old, uh, when he passed away, and that's not that long ago, he managed to cream off the, the economy of Egypt, which is a relative poor country. He managed to cream off about $70 billion. What a thing to do to your own country. What an obscene salary, if you like, $70 billion. Here's another one, here's another one that I like to mention. Now his name is Muammar Gaddafi. Only 30 billion, but nevertheless, from a country like Libya, which of course is rich in oil, 30 billion, because he's dead as well. He got murdered by his own people. The futility of seeking the riches and particularly the means by which it was achieved. You know, we can look around the globe, and I'll show you an index of corruption globally in a minute. So many, so many rulers seek the power, and for selfish, very self-centered reasons, to accumulate wealth for themselves. And there are, as I said, so many of them. Still, today, globally, they're there. Now, here's another tragic example man by the name of Bernard Madoff. He's 82 years old today. I want you to see the story here. In March 2009, Bernie Madoff pleaded guilty to 11 federal offenses and admitted to turning his wealth management business into a massive, massive Ponzi scheme. He, oh, he was in all the news that defrauded thousands of investors of billions of dollars, the people that went broke because of him. And on June 29, 2009, he was sentenced, can you believe, to 150 years in prison. And he still has, of course, 139 years to go. Uh, this man will never see freedom, of course. What makes a person do that? regardless of the well-being of others and what you inflict, afflict on others. What mentality, what greed and selfishness. And so he has this maximum period allowed, 139 years. We value ourselves, that's our inclination, we value ourselves by what we own. And maybe others do too. But God values you and me by what we are, by what you are, what I am. That's where he values. This is a, a little, you can get these things from the internet. It's quite interesting when you do that. Uh, always examine the, the source of that because you need to do that to see if it's reliable. I'm going to show you this one which I got of the internet, which is wealth possessed per adult around the world in 2019. Now, if you go to the red, and the very light red is the poorest, and there is a schedule there, and if you are very, very light red, rose, that means you're very poor. 
and and uh, and that is uh, tragic. And if you go to the darker red, it even gets worse, where you might own actually your total assets less than five hundred dollars per person. That is not a great deal. When you go to the green, and the reason why I put this one up, you say, well, how does that help me with my salvation? I want you to understand something. When you look at this, and you look at, say, the green areas, which is predominantly Europe, yes, there's a few other countries, there's obviously China, uh, there is the North America, you can see Canada is doing very well, because the darker green are the wealthier, uh, you understand. So these these people have at least at least a hundred thousand dollars to their to their wealth. Well, when you look at Australia, it is interesting that we are dark green. We are in a very privileged position, you know, and and we don't deserve any better than all the other people around the world. But what I'm saying is, since we live here, we are extremely blessed living in the country that we are living in. And uh, we should uh, appreciate that and wonder why it is that we are so privileged. Now, I told you that when it comes to the global economic cake, if you like, which is not equally shared as we know, when you look at this one here, the light, the light yellow is very much low in corruption. But when you go to the brown, and particularly the darker brown, there is a higher level of corruption. Again, always examine the source, but when you look at it, you realize that if you live in this country and you look at Australia, which is light yellow, extremely low in corruption compared to the rest of the world. We are living in a very privileged country. And we should thank God for that and also wonder why God has placed us in this position. Because we certainly don't deserve it any more than all the other people in the world. And so, let's look what the world is doing about the unevenness of distribution of wealth. So we have, from time to time, these World Economic Forums. I'll come back to that in a minute. There is an organization like the International Monetary Fund, and there is the World Bank, and the last two really work together very well. Now, here is a comment that I'd like to share with you. Whether it is the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, the IMF, that is the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, or any other institution, this is important, their poverty relief programs, which is what they do to underdeveloped countries, countries that are in real trouble, but they only exist to create further dependency. They, what I'm saying is they are not really helping them, they are not really giving anything. What they are doing is really an, an entrapment to these countries that get further indebted to them. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. There's another one here, which this one is quite reliable, it's from the World Economic Forum. I'd like you to have a look at this as well, it's quite fascinating. 71% of the world population owns 3% of the world's wealth. That's quite extraordinary. When you go further, 21%, 21% of the world population uh, possesses 12.5% of the world's assets. 
interesting. You keep going, you come to 7.4% and 7.4% actually owns 40% of the wealth of this world, all the assets, which is incredible. We'll go one further, we'll go one further, have a look at this one, 0.7% of a percent owns 45% of the world's wealth. Now, how about that for an uneven distribution? That's very remarkable. The World Bank, as I said, works very well, very in close liaison with the international monetary funds. The critics of the World Bank and the IMF have concerns that about the conditions imposed on borrowing countries and I'll explain this to you, which fails to resolve the economic problems within those countries. What they do, they make loans, but they determined, that is the World Bank and the IMF, they determined the amount of the loan, they determined the interest of the loan, they de determined the duration of the loan, and you can understand that these countries are not in a position, are not in a position to work their way out of the debt that is imposed upon them by the lending. And so we're not really improving, we're not really improving the assets in this world. We're not coming to a fairer distribution. That's what I'm trying to say. Their poverty relief programs creates further dependency, and it does. In fact, something interesting, the World Trade Organization, now the World Trade Organization, and I'll tell you what it's supposed to do, aims to increase the number of bilateral free trade agreements between governments and, and resolve conflicts between free trade on industrial goods and services. Let me tell you one of their, their, their positions. Anything that is made in forced labor cannot be refused by any country. You are not allowed to discriminate where or how it was produced. And that is a remarkable stance to take. But that's what they do. That is the World Trade Organization. We see that globalization, globalization, the only single aim is for profit. It's not for charity, that is for certain. And so there are greedy hands all over this planet, if you like. There are meetings, there are uh, endeavors, organizations. All they want is more profit but not helping the people. It's all the mighty dollar, the mighty pounds, the mighty yen, whatever, the mighty euro, whatever it is. It is about money, and that's a sad state of affairs. What is a good economy? Well, let me give you the definition. When people go to work, they earn and they spend. That is a healthy economy. What is a bad economy? Well, let me tell you what a bad economy is. That is when people borrow and spend. And that is what's happening very much today. From a spiritual point of view, from a spiritual point of view, a bad economy is laying up treasures for yourself on earth. Even if you do well, it's not going to help you because where your treasure is, there your heart there your heart, Jesus said that. And the heart is really the mind, the intellect, your thoughts, your energies, your heart is there. And that is true. 
And a good economy, in Christian terms, a good economy in spiritual terms, you lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Now, Solomon in his good days made an observation which is recorded in the book of Proverbs. You find it in Proverbs 22, verse 7. And it's an excellent remark. I want you to have a, have a look at this. He said this, The rich rule over the poor. He says, the borrower is the servant of the lender. In other words, if you borrow money, and that is one of the perils of borrowing, even at a low interest rate, if you borrow the money, you become someone else's servant. There is a danger in that. Yeah, I know that we, we borrow, we take a mortgage to buy a home and then pay it off and hope for the increase of the value. Of course, that is understandable. There's nothing wrong with that because you'll be paying rent the whole of, of your life. But we need to be prudent when it comes to borrowing. Because why are we really borrowing? Do we need to? There's a, there should be discernment. The statue that you're looking at here, which is actually in front of the U.S. Treasury Department headquarters in Washington, D.C. I'm just giving you this economic picture because I love to know what is happening in the world, where we are in time, and what I should be aware of. Now, this statue is of an Alexander Hamilton. He, uh, he's one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. And he was a lawyer, he was an economist, and he, uh, he was an exceptionally talented, principled man. And if he knew the state of the economy of the United States today, he would turn in his grave. I'm convinced. I'm going to show you something again. That is from a federal debt held by the public of America. I just want you to see something there on your, on your left side of this, of this picture. There is 2020, and you can see the level of, of debt in regards to what they called the, uh, the, the gross domestic, the GDP, the gross the, the domestic product. See, a very important measure of an economy. Now, I'll remove this, and then you'll see there is a spike. There is a spike, there is an increase. There is an increase of debt which is quite tremendous. These are billions of dollars. And you can see that ultimately, well, perhaps already, it is impossible for America to ever repay the debt. And if you bear in mind that the borrower becomes the servant of the lender, well, we have reason to be worried about this. And by the way, by the way, this projection is not taking in account, is not taking account the effects of the coronavirus pandemic that has such a devastating, devastating effect on the economy. So the spikes should be more vertical, more aggressive. What a world we live in. What a time. I'm just saying, what a time to be alive, to be here and to know the Bible and to know your God. And I think you cannot deny the benefit of having your relationship with God and the Lord Jesus Christ for the times that you and I live in. We are so fortunate that he loves us, keeps us, and provides for us. 
deadly strains of pathogens from one end of the world to the other. We've had a number of them. We've had a number of them. You might recall some of the names, but the trouble is that wherever they are, those pathogens, through travel, they can be within a day on the other side of the world. And they are shared all around the globe. The other problem is, and that as, is as we see, there is a consequence that if it develops into a pandemic, that the economies suffer, which leads to tremendous anxiety levels, which we already see in our own country as well. And yet we are in a very privileged position. And so, and so, it can affect us, it can kill us. And I, I look globally and I look at this thing that I, I've always been interested in. When people try to escape, when people try to escape to another country because they have no hope, there is no light on the end of the tunnel where they live. These are economic refugees. They are increasing globally. People who have no hope where they are and they're trying to escape the destitution that they actually live in. And it is horrendous to see what's happening globally. Did you know that slavery, well, it was abolished, you say. Well, not really, because there's more slavery today than there ever has been in any moment of history. And unfortunately, the pedophilia, the, the tremendous trafficking uh, things that find place, what a terrible, terrible world we live in. Terrible. There are more slaves now than any time in history. What they make, the products we buy, the way that people deal with each other, the mistreatment, the abuse, the taking of advantage. Uh, the taking of advantage finds place in so many places in the world. Agricultural, domestic, uh, factories, sweatshops, they are globally, Asia, Africa, and, and, and other parts of the world. They're producing goods for global supply chains. And the consumers don't particularly care where it comes from. It depends. They, get, uh, they hope to get it for a good price. But what has gone on in the production? Which brings me to a portion of scripture. I like this one. James. We believe he was the... Uh, yeah, stepbrother of Christ, became a believer, became a believer after Christ's resurrection. And he said something, he had something to say about this misuse of power because of a privileged economic position. He said this, you're familiar with this. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. Now, that's very strong language, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. He is not asking them even to repent. He is pronouncing, if you like, a judgment because they failed a test. Who is he writing to? Who is he speaking to? Christians. Christians. The pagans wouldn't read it, the letter, but the Christians do. So this is to Christians. You've got to bear that in mind. He says, he says your riches are corrupted. That's what he says, corrupted. And your garments are moth-eaten. That's bad, because garments used to be very costly in those days. 
So your garments are moth-eaten because you haven't used them. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Now gold and silver are valuable because it doesn't corrode. He said in your case it is corroded. Why? Because you haven't used it. All you have done is hoarded it. He said, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. It reminds me of the parable of the talents where the one who had the one talent dug a hole in the ground and put his talent, his master's talent there. And again, their corrosion will be a witness against you. We are talking here about a judgment and will eat your flesh like fire. Sin and sinners will be destroyed by fire. In other words, it will condemn you. You have heaped up treasure. When? Well, in the last day. This is an apostle writing to Christians. Now, this apostle was probably still hoping and believing that Jesus would return in his day, and he considered his days to be the last day. But you and I know that that wasn't true. And so you and I believe, convicted we are, that we are living in the last days. And so, and so it might as well have been directed to us if we are guilty of heaping up treasure just so to make us feel good or superior. Indifference is to be condemned and is by God. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you have kept by fraud. Now you say, I don't have any fields. I don't have anybody that's mowing on my behalf. I, yes. But I just talked about the products that were made and the people that are being misused, abused, because it then becomes cheaper and some people will really become rich out of it. And maybe we should be more discerning what we buy and where and when. I think of this, I, I, I think of the unevenness, I think of the, the abuse. It, it, it must hurt not just my feelings or your feelings perhaps, or the feelings of those who are the victims. It must hurt God to see that. And so indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your field which you have kept by fraud cry out. Now the wages are crying out. And this comes to a law that you find in Deuteronomy where Moses told the people that if you employ someone to work for you this day, you have to pay him this day on the end of the day, not tomorrow. You do not hold the wages overnight. You pay that person who worked for you today, you pay them today. That was the rule. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the lords of hosts. And you have lived in pleasure and luxury. You have lived in pleasure and luxury. You have murdered the just. Financial oppression can shorten lives. And if it does, and you're guilty of withholding what is due to others, God holds you accountable. You have murdered the just, he does not resist you. Why? Because he can't. There is a, this is inspired, this is God expressing how he feels about unjust dealings, just because you might be in a position to do so. Now, I'm not saying you are, 
Because I think as a people, you and I, as a people, when we turn to the book of Revelation, and which we know so well, when we turn to the book of Revelation and we look what John wrote and the message for the end time people, which is us, which is us today, that, that is us. Here's a message. John in vision, the year 95 AD. Location, the island of Patmos. He looks down the ages and he looks into our time and he records an unholy alliance between state and church. And he records that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark, the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, you may be familiar with this. I'd like to think you are, but maybe you're not. Well, we, we hope to, can I do a commercial here? We hope to run uh, a program. We hope to run a seminar on the book of Revelation. Because I think we ought to understand the times that we live in as it presents itself around us, but particularly more than anything else from a biblical perspective, what God wants us to understand, what he wants us to be. And so we should study perhaps that book together. <coughs> and we will, and we will. The capacity to implement a worldwide economic boycott written in 95 AD, the end of the first century. Inconceivable. That would be, then would have been inconceivable as a phenomenon. And yet today we understand, today we know that this can be implemented overnight. Economic boycotts are common. If you look at the United States of America and what she imposes upon certain countries, because she has that capacity to be almost 30% of the world economy. And so it's interesting that this was presented there in 95 AD as an end time, as an end time phenomenon. But, but here is something more important even. It, it says there is a, a globalization politically because they all collaborate, all nations and powers. Isn't it interesting? Uh, also, globalization economically. Fascinating. 95 AD. Globalization religiously, because we are talking about a religious condition. Unthinkable at the time when it was written. But now you and I understand that this could be implemented and a reality today, as I said, overnight. The world mourns Babylon's fall. Yeah, you may not quite understand what that means. Babylon is the counterfeit system of God's teachings and will. And it will fall apart. In fact, the Bible predicts that the kings of the earth, that's the nations, who committed fornication and illicit relationship, church and state, and lived luxurious with her. So if you wanted to do well, you should be part of that. But that, of course, is against the will of God. But the false system will do economically very well. 
but they will weep, lament for her, because one day it'll all be over. When they see the smoke of her burning, fascinating portion of scripture in Revelation 18, you can find this. And we should study it one day, and we will. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, and no one buys their merchandise anymore. A little bit like what's happening in the retails of today. People not buying anymore is a disaster. And so... The world mourns Babylon's fall. So we have a glitch which becomes a problem, which becomes a disaster, which truly becomes the end of the system as we know it. We gotta think. And we gotta understand God's will for us. Now, we won't often, it's like we want God to baptize our standard of living. But that I mean is, are we living right? Spending right? Do we, not just about tithe and offering, do you see the needs of others? And what do you do about it? Or are you preoccupied with a pursuit of financial security? Uh, our accumulation of money, we want God to bless that. People say, oh, I'm all right. I have money for the next so many years. To I've heard people say that to me recently. Oh, well, we are all right. We don't owe any money. We own our house and, and we have the super and that will see us through for a number of years. And I've heard it from people in the church. Who do you trust, your super or your savior? Think about it. Think about it. We want his approval for large houses or large bank accounts, not all. But it so easily creeps into our lives and large credit card limits. We want him to look at our consumer culture. You and I, you and I have to be aware. We are living in a consumer culture. We really do. We really, really do. And, 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 and our capitalistic dreams, and we want God to pronounce it, it is good, and it isn't. It isn't. We need to think differently. At death, here is the reality, at death, we are going to leave behind everything we have. I have never seen anybody successful taking anything with them. Neither have you. The part you cannot take with you is everything that you own. You leave that behind. But here is the more, more important reality. You take everything that you are with you. And that is true of all of us. That is the part that you cannot leave behind. And we should realize that. This is what Jesus said. You're familiar with this. Let's look at it. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do not lay for, for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so... For where your treasure is, this is what Jesus said, there your heart will be also. 
And that's the greatest danger of possession. Now you might say, I don't suffer, Pastor. I don't suffer from hoarding up, accumulating wealth. I'm just struggling. I'm just struggling to pay my rent. I'm just struggling to pay the mortgage. I'm just struggling to keep the kids at school. In fact, I'm struggling to pay the basic bills. Um, Jesus had something to say. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And we've got to practice this. This is what he said. What you will eat or drink, you might like to say, how am I going to pay my bills? Or whatever your body, whatever you will wear, is not life more than food. Not just in your eyes, but it is also in his eyes. And the body more than the clothes. God values, values you and loves you. And he will care for you. This is the condition. Seek first his kingdom. His kingdom. His righteousness. Seek that first. And he says all the other things, all the other things will be given to you. Other gospel writer says, shall be added to you. That's his promise. And he will. Blaise Pascal was a, actually a Roman Catholic theologian. He was an inventor, physicist. Um, he invented the basic calculator and also the roulette. I like him for what he said about, about mankind. He says, and he believed in God's creation and that we are God's creation. He said there's a God-shaped emptiness in all of us. That's how we're made. It is an emptiness, he said, there is a God-shaped emptiness in the heart of every person and it can only be filled by God. I like that. And it's true. It is true. Um, before him, Augustine of Hippo in the 44th century AD said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless, until it rests in you. Your security is not your superannuation. Your security is not your investments, if you have any, or extra property, whatever it may be, or even for the matter, your capacity of earning. Your security is in Christ. That is where your security is. And so when you realize that, you can deal with disappointments. I mean, the Bible is full of disappointments. Before the Exodus, Moses endured uh, 40 years in the desert looking after sheep. Prison and exile prepared Joseph and Daniel for the incredible ministries that they have. Read their stories. David was a fugitive before he became a mighty king. Elijah wanted to die. He faltered before he was ready for translation. He never saw death. Peter painfully learned the cost of denying Christ. Oh, it was painful before boldly preaching him as he did. And Calvary, you must understand, was before the resurrection and the ascension. You know, we as a people have to understand, often a great disappointment precedes a great commission. 
We as a people, we came forth as an end-time church, as a remnant church. We came forth from a tremendous disappointment when people thought Jesus was coming back at a certain date and they, 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 they worked out their time all right. But the event was wrong and Jesus didn't come and there was a bitter disappointment. And we as a movement came afterwards when we understood the scriptural meaning of what was written. And it's marvelous how this truth was entrusted to us. We came forth. We are a prophetic movement. We are predicted to come into being. And you find that in the book of Revelation. We were predicted as a movement. No question about it. And we were told that we would keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Not our faith. We're not relying on our faith. We are relying on His faith, which He imparts to us as we surrender to Him. I want to tell you the story, just briefly, of a Craig Richard Cooley. Now you say, who is this? Now this man, this man, in November 1978, was arrested for a double murder. And uh, even though the first trial was a hung trial and he was tried again and found guilty, this man spent 39 years in prison, and that's him now. He was pardoned on November 2017 by the governor of California. Because what happened there was this policeman, and his name was Michael Bender, who looked at his case, one of the cold cases, so to speak. And as he looked at the case, where, and he went through the trial proceedings, he discovered tremendous irregularities. And he actually went and saw Craig Richard Corley in jail. And he said he had seen many people denying their guilt. He heard many people to say that they were innocent. But there was a man before him and he, he, just Michael Bender, just knew that this man was innocent. He just knew. And he spent, and he spent an enormous time, even put his own career in jeopardy, to prove that this man was innocent. And he collected and collated the evidence. And ultimately it led to the dismissal and the exoneration of this particular man, Craig Richard Cooley. Imagine, 39 years. Yes, he was compensated afterwards, and, but no money could be a replacement for 39 years. In jail, innocently, his parents, Craig Richard Cooley's parents, had spent all their money, all their time, trying to help the son to get back out of prison. And they died trying, but it never worked. Richard Cooley, in prison, became a Christian. He found Jesus, or Jesus found him. And he used to run Bible study classes. He became a very committed Christian, and he still is today as is Michael Bender. In fact, he moved in with the family of Michael Bender. It's very touching. They adopted him. They accepted him as a family member, as Christians should. An amazing story. 
39 years. 39 years. This is what he said after 39 years. I believed, he said, whatever happened was what God had in store for me. And that includes the 39 years. He says, what God had in store for me, everything, including the 39 years I get, is a blessing. What an incredible, what an incredible attitude. You could only have that belief, that conviction, if you know Christ. Two quick comments in closing on our thinking about money, our worrying about money, and how we should deal with money. She said, my appeal to the rich, and that may not be you, but here it is. We are so well off, I showed you the, the graphs. Deal liberally with your poor brethren, wherever they may be. And use your means to advance the cause of God. The worthy poor who were made poor by misfortune and sickness deserve your special care and help. And then you might say, well, how much should I give? I love this statement. It answers that question and it's a guide for your life. She says this, all means beyond and above the basic necessities of life are entrusted to mankind to do good and to bless humanity. If you can do that by his grace, we will share eternity. I know we will. Don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. God is already there. You have nothing to fear. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be trusting in you. You have never broken a promise. Lord, help us to remember this as we go forward, whatever may befall us. And may we see the needs of others and know that Jesus died for them too. Help us to help. Help us to live the life that you want us to live. And we earnestly pray for this. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit waitarachurch.org.au.
sang A Life of Love. Coming up next, Rescue the Perishing by Fountain View Academy. Tell them of 
Jesus, the mighty to save. Listen to Bill Ackland as he reads from his book, Talking with God. 
Today's prayer is entitled, Subconsciously, Imperceptibly. O Father of us all, controller and sustainer of this great universe, I pray today for the ability to discern the almost indiscernible. Very often in life, we awake with a start, wondering, how do we get to this place where we are right now? Was the course I had taken intentional? Or did I drift along on the tide of each day's busy program, only to realise I was at the opposite bank of the river of life that takes us from where we have been to where we should be? Drifting is so easy, not much effort is required, and we reassure ourselves that we are at least moving. But is it really in the direction you want for us to go? Subconsciously, imperceptibly, forces internal and external can control our lives if we let them. Instead, we must intentionally and willingly place all we are and have into your divine care. It is only then that purpose and direction take the place of drifting and dreaming. Lord, I do want to fulfil the plan you have for my life. Each day, as I consider the activities that will occupy me, that may touch others too, may it be that my plans will be in harmony with yours. Fulfilling your purposes will ensure that I keep in the middle of the stream of life and not get entangled in the brambles on the bank. Instead of subconsciously and imperceptibly drifting, give me, Father, real purpose in my life, a purpose based on your will and your way for me. Then I shall find myself at last, where the river of this life reaches the ocean of your great eternity, the ocean of God's love. I always want to be, Lord, your committed child. Please keep me in your way. Amen. To obtain your copy of Talking With God, written by Bill Ackland, give us a call in Australia on 02-4973- 3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.